Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us. And we know that you are so gracious to us. Lord, we know that we deserve your wrath because of our sin. It's our sin, Lord. We've been reminded that we can have forgiveness through your Son and through your Son alone. We thank you and we praise you for every good gift that you give. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and I pray that this morning that we would feast on it. Lord, forgive us when we have not, even though we have Bibles available to us in our language, forgive us when we haven't just feasted on Jesus. Lord, I plead for you right now to help us I plead that you would open our, our eyes. We, we want to see you. Lord, we want to receive you. Lord, we want to walk with you in obedience. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've shared with you before, and some of you do not know, that um, I've certainly sinned quite a bit in my own, in my own life. And it's the same for you as well, I would presume, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I remember uh, a time, and it still is a struggle. There are, there, are, that there are good things that I like and enjoy, but sometimes I possibly put them ahead of where they should be. For example, looking back on my own life and just the enjoyment of sports, fill in blank of whatever it is you enjoy to watch or do, were those things, for me, were not just things that were good to be enjoyed from the Lord, i.e., for me, it was wrestling, loved it, it, ran, wanted to enjoy it, want to be the state champion of the universe, blah, 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 glory, glory, glory to me. You you, You ever wrestled with that? You ever struggled with things that are good to be enjoyed from, from God, but where they kind of start taking the place of God in some weird way? Like food is a good thing to be enjoyed by us. In fact, if you go without it, you're going to run into a significant problem. And yet if you enjoy it in the wrong way or to the extent that you shouldn't, I mean, there's nothing wrong or sinful about having sugar, but yet if you abuse it, It'll do all kinds of harm to your body. When you ask ourselves why we start doing that, those things, when we start to maybe overindulge or love, put something ahead of God in some way, it's usually because, well, of a lot of reasons, but one of them because possibly Jesus is our Lord, but just not quite in this particular area. Do you know, following me? Do you know what I'm saying? And that could be a lot of different things in our lives. And it's all connected to our, our, what we think. It's connected to things that we say. Forget the bad things, right? Although that's bad. How about just what we articulate about God? How we view God? Whether we view him properly or not. 
The Word of God is going to shape and it's going to reinform how we ought to view God, by the way. But it's not just those things. It's not just what we think and what we say. It's also with what we do. What we do with ourselves, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, all those things. It's the entire person of who we are. Jesus needs to be Lord over every aspect of who we are. And oftentimes, if you are like me, we wrestle with and struggle with him being Lord of every single aspect of our life. But I tell you today that Jesus needs to be the Lord of every nuance and area of our lives. This morning, I want you to see that in the book of Matthew. It has been coming up over and over, and it's one of the major themes of the entire Bible, that we must submit to and obey God. And what we will see here this morning is that Jesus is going to call us to submitting to him in every aspect of our lives with what we say, with what we do, with what we think, all those things, portion of who we are. Submit to him as Lord. So if it is true that we need to submit to him as Lord, how are we to do it? How do we keep Jesus as Lord over every area of our life? I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, we're going to see, we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to be reading through verse 35. Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 35. This is the text under consideration this morning. This is the text that we'll read, and this is the text that we'll be drawing from. We will be looking at other texts this morning. And you can try to flip there, and that'd be fine. I'll, I'll take us to some other passages very briefly, and you can just listen. But here, listen to the reading of the Word of God. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table, the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, uh, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
And when he had sung, excuse me, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away from me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. This is scriptures. So this morning, the question I have for us as with this text is how do we keep Jesus as Lord of our lives? It is required by the scriptures that he is our Lord. But how do we do that? If he needs to be Lord, if he is to be Lord, then he needs to be the Lord of what we say, of what we do, of what we think, our entire lives. Am I right? Number one, this is what I would say, I'm going to draw this right from the text, I'm going to show you right here. It's first and foremost, in terms of how we can keep Jesus as Lord of our lives, number one, I would say this, submit to him as the sovereign God of heaven and earth. It's a simple thing, but it's a massive, glorious thing. And I will tell you this, that if you, if we, which we do, struggle with the sovereignty of God, over our life at all, and who he is, we will certainly struggle with submitting to him as our Lord. And let me, let me tell you why. One of the reasons that we will struggle with submitting to him as Lord is because we will have a hard time submitting to who he is in his character. You see, we need to submit to him, not only in our just obedient lives, but in obedience of how we think of who he is. And let me tell you, as we go on and walk with God, God is refining and reshaping our view of him because we have had improper views of God throughout our lives because of sin and the fall. And that whole mess is being cleared up. That muck is being fixed. Now, there are four ways that this comes up in the passage here, and I want you to see it with your own eyes, and then you can go and ponder and wrestle with this. And after that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you, just as throughout the the Scripture as a whole, one book in particular of why this really matters. Because this comes up massively, and I will tell you that it is glorious, and it needs to become sweet to us as the people of God. Because as we submit to him as the king of the universe, the sovereign king of the universe, then we submit to him as the sovereign king over our lives, of which we typically want to be the sovereign king of. That's the problem, by the way. No, Lord, you're, you're the king of my life in this regard, but, but not in this regard over here. Don't touch that. So here's four ways um, that we will see this. In the one of the first ways we will see this, uh, number one, we will see this come up in this way, that Jesus says the words, my time is at hand. How does Jesus know this? What does he mean by this? Well, does he not know this because he is the sovereign king of the universe? 
So when Jesus sends out the disciples to go prepare the, the, the feast of, unle- the, excuse me, to the, the, uh, the Passover feast, they go into the city and engage with someone that Jesus has told to meet up with and arrange some, a Passover feast that they're going to have together. And the words that he's instructing them to say to this person is to tell them that his time has come. Do you see it? Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Once again, we said this last week, but they are celebrating, they were remembering the Passover feast that God has commanded them to do in the Old Testament when he did the great salvation of God. And they, they escaped out of the hands of Egypt to go and worship the living God of heaven and earth. And the way God did that was that he passed over everyone who was obedient, who took the blood of the Passover lamb and, and covered the lentil and covered the, 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 the parts of the door. And God, God passed over them and showed grace to them, but then he slaughtered the firstborn of everyone else. And finally, the Pharaoh let the people go. In the verse, and then they, they, they were to, commanded to commemorate, commemorate this. In verse 18, he said, Go unto the city and a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. What does Jesus mean? What he means is that he's going to die. What he means is Jesus is going to fulfill the very thing that he had come and purposed to do. Jesus didn't just come to heal, which he did. Jesus heals. Jesus came to heal the sick and the lame and the leper, showing us, showing people the glory of God. Look, this God is a healer. But he didn't do just those things. He came to die on the cross. You see, at the heart of the good news that we have is that Jesus would die the death that we deserve. And Jesus says this by saying, my time is at hand. How does he know that? Because he is the sovereign God of the universe. How would he know? I mean, what if it's 10 years from now? Or 20 years? And he says, no, my time is now. And he, the reason he knows that is because he is God in the flesh. Number two, the other way we see this come up in the passage here is this. He says, and he knows that one of them will betray him. In fact, he knows who will betray him, doesn't he? Doesn't he say that? In verse 20, he says, when it was evening, at the, he reclined at the table, a tradition that had come up in their day, by the way. The reclining at the table, it's a fact that, he's, he's, uh, that the author is explaining. This is, these are facts of what happened in that night. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. How does Jesus possibly know this? Jesus knows this because he is the sovereign king of the universe. You know, we don't go along our day and say, hey, one of you is going to betray me. We don't know when someone's going to betray us in some way. But Jesus knows because he's the sovereign king of the universe, and we need to submit to him as such. So not only does he know that, but number three, he says this. He says, hey, look, you will abandon me. Doesn't he say that? In verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. He calls out the particular night. This night, 
Not like in the near future. He's like, you're going you're gonna to fall away tonight. How does he know? Because he's the sovereign king of the universe. The fourth way that displays the sovereignty of Jesus Christ in these moments is this. He says, but he will be raised up. How does he know? Because he's the sovereign king of the universe. Truly I say to you that ever, excuse me, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster, oh, excuse me, back up. Back up. Starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He is quoting Zechariah. It's an Old Testament passage. He's, Matthew is pointing out, Jesus is proclaiming that this is the fulfillment of prophetic word from the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he's saying. But after I am raised up, Jesus, who is the sovereign over the universe, is saying not only does he know that his time is at hand, not only does he know that one of them will betray him, and he knows who, he knows Judas, and he knows that they will fall away and abandon him, but he also knows that he will not merely die, but that he will be raised up from the dead. He knows that because he is the sovereign king of the universe. Now this matter is on full display here, and the theme comes up continually throughout all of Scripture. But I want you to see that. When the more and more we submit to who God is in his character, submit to who he says he is, the more we are willing to embrace who he is, the more we're going to be willing to submit to him in every aspect of, of life. Because heart change will take place. This is not the only place that this issue comes up. Jesus, God, the scriptures point out that God is so sovereign over all these details of life that God, in his providential love, puts this on full display in the book of Job. And I'm going to tell you why. God does it because he's God and it, he could do this according to his good pleasure, but he does it because one of the most difficult things in our life is pain and suffering. And what God displays in the Job is that God is so sovereign over all the detail, details of creation that he's also even sovereign over the difficulty and the suffering in our own lives. He's that sovereign. And he maintains his goodness in the midst of all of that. And so I want you to see that Jesus doesn't merely know what will happen, but he is ordaining these things as the sovereign king of the universe. In the book of Job, you will have to read it another time, but I'm going to just like address little aspects of it so that it'll be helpful you see a gist of what happens. God is putting on full display his sovereignty so that we can see God is so sovereign over the details of life that he's even sovereign over difficulty, struggle, and suffering that when you read the book of Job, one of the first things that you see is that Job was a righteous guy. He was a good man. And what is going to happen to him is all kinds of difficulty and suffering of all kinds. Horrific things. And the, and, and the reason that, and, and one of the reasons we see on full display is his, his righteousness or the good kind of guy Job was is because his friends are going to raise the question, well, Job, you must have done something wrong. And what we're told from the scriptures from the very beginning is Job was a really good dude. Now, he's a fallen sinner just like you and I. In fact, Job will sin. When you read Job, Job will make a big mistake. 
But one of the things he gets right in the beginning and he starts to struggle with in the middle of the book, but then comes full swing around at the end of the book and comes to understand and believe and trust in the sovereign king of the universe. When all kinds of things happen and he loses it all, including including his children, he's under immense pressure, immense difficulty. He's in in horrible, I mean, there are just no words for how horrible it is. Am I right? He loses everything that's important to him, and then secondarily, well, he's going to lose also control over his own body and be in all kinds of personal pain as well. But this is what Job says. It's absolutely astounding, and it's right. Then Job arose in in chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and fell on the ground, and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return to the Lord the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In other words, what Job said was correct. In addition to that, he did not charge God with wrong. As you read the book, there's something that happens, and it happens to every one of us when our bodies, like, just get wrecked and by the way, if, you, if we live long enough, our body will get wrecked with age. I don't know if you guys are aware of that, but it's coming to every one of us. And that's because of the fallen state of this world. At the very end, so now before the end, Job finally, he does something sinful. Job messed up. And uh, I'm going to tell you what it is. And it's something that's very tempting to do in our setting and in our culture. And here's what it is. It's very simple. We try to put God on trial. We try to put ourselves in the judgment seat, and it's laughable, but we try to put God on trial, and we try to make God explain himself to us, and that's what happens. And Job, Job, even Job, even Job, the one who perseveres massively, even Job does this. God's response to him is to finally say, Job, okay, stand like a man, Job, and you tell me. Where were you when I made all of this? Explain to me all of that. Because where were you? Because I don't remember seeing you, Job. And then at the very end, I want you to hear what the scriptures say because this ties it up. And this, this, has, been my, this, has, been life trans, this has been life-changing for me for quite a while. And I, Job is precious to me. The Bible is precious to me, and I don't get it all right all the time. I don't, because I'm fallen just like you, brothers and sisters. But check this out. At the very end, there's this amazing bow that gets put on the book of Job, and it says this in, verse, in chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, all, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I'm gonna, I want to I say it again. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you, but but by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes seize you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz and the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. You hear that? In other words, Job said what was right there. there. Submitting to, acknowledging the sovereign God of the universe. It's an amazing story. It's an ancient story. It's the word of God. And what we need to see here on display in Matthew is one of those themes that keeps coming up and over and over, and now it is applied to Jesus himself. He is not just merely a man. He is fully God and fully man. And yet on display is his sovereignty over all these things, that he knows that his time is at hand. He knows that who will betray him. He knows that they will abandon him, and he knows that he will be raised. Number two, so number one, we need to submit to the sovereignty of God. Number two, we will maintain keeping Jesus as Lord of our lives is number two, we need to commune with him. Now before I go there, there's something that I want to point out as you look at the text. First of all, you see that Jesus says to them, hey, look, I say to you that one of you is going to betray me. But listen to what they say in contrast to what Judas says. They say, and they were very sorrowful, which you can imagine the horror. Jesus is there and he's saying, one of you is going to betray me. All of Jesus' words are perfect, by the way. It's just amazing. He's got perfect, he's lion and lamb. He's courageous, he's gentle, and he's straightforward. It's just every word is uttered perfectly. And they were very sorrowful when they began to say to him, one, one after the other, is it I, Lord? Now notice that they use the word Lord. Because when you look at what Judas says, Judas uses a different word. Will you look at the word that Judas uses? It's really easy to miss. In verse 25, Judas says, who would, uh, Jesus, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? You know, Leon Morris, doesn't matter who he is, he's a theologian, but I got this from him because I hadn't noticed this before. He says, there is no evidence anywhere in the Bible of Judas calling Jesus Lord anywhere. It's not there. Never. And here at the toughest hour, he doesn't even fake it. He calls him rabbi. Sure. But he does not call him Lord. You know, Judas never saw him as who he is. Judas never saw him as Lord. Judas never would confess him as Lord. And the thing, that, the thing that we have to ask ourselves today is, do we confess Jesus as Lord? Are we, we willing to submit to him as, as Lord and Savior, as Lord of our lives, as Lord over every detail of our lives? With what we do, with what we say, with what we think, are we willing to give over all those areas which are potential idols in our lives or not? Now, I know, look, God is sanctifying us. Look, God justifies us, and that's a a big word that we use in church, 
right? That means God declares you righteous, right? Because of what Jesus has done. Now, there's this other part where God is, he's sanctifying us, but here's the thing. With sanctification, that where God is cleaning us up, he's cleaning up our lives, because I don't know if you're familiar with this at all, but you're not, like, not perfect right now, right? You know that? You know that? But we have a responsibility in that sanctification. It's a part of his grace that you have faith to believe in him. It's a part of his grace that he has justified. It's a part of his grace that he is making you right. He is cleaning up our mucky life. But we have a responsibility. We are responsible to live a holy life before him and to submit to him as Lord. Every, every area of life. Man, can I just say, like, I, I just, I just want to address the fact that in our culture, in the time that we live in, man, like, there are things that we could look at that we should not look at, brothers and sisters. There are things that we can do that we should not be doing. There are things that we can say that we should not be saying because we are the people of God under the lordship of the sovereign king of the universe, and his name is Jesus. And I ask you, do you confess him as Lord or do you not? Or do you confess him as Lord except for this area? Don't you dare touch it. And then we try to put Jesus on trial. You don't have any right over this, Jesus. And I tell you this, that he does. Jesus says he does over every part of our lives. So first of all, submit to him as sovereign God. Second of all, the way we're going to keep Jesus as Lord of, of our lives is we need to commune with him. Now, after all this betrayal is going to take place, and Jesus says, it, it, you have said it, Judas. Now, as they were eating, Jesus, he took the bread, and he, he took the bread, and, he, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. This is going to signify something of his body get, getting beaten, right? And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, I tell you, I will not drink of it again. This, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink of it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's a kingdom to come. It's his Father's kingdom. It's a heavenly world. It's a kingdom that we'll be a part of, and it's going to be epic and awesome, better than we could have imagined, better than a broken life fixed with God forever for those who have put their trust in him and submit to him as Lord and Savior. We need to, so secondly, we need to commune with him. Now, every single week at Branches, we take communion, and other churches have different traditions where they don't take it as often. But you know what? We, we, we do this because God has given this to us to remember what Jesus has done. To remember that Jesus was betrayed and he died on the cross. He died on his cross. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat. And he took the cup and he said, drink this. We need to feast on Jesus. Jesus says in the scriptures that he is the bread of life. We need to feast on Jesus. We need, so, so number two, what I would say is we need to commune with God. The script, we have the Bible at our hands. Why are we not communing with God? We need to be together uh, regularly, coming together, hearing the word of God. Jesus is the word. We need to feast on him. 
We should be taking of the elements. But above all, we need to commune with him. We need to connect with him. We need to abide in Jesus. Jesus says, check this out, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, if you want, turn there for a moment. Doesn't Jesus say that we are to be connected to him? In chapter 15, verse 4, he says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and, and my, words, my words abide in you, do you hear that? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The disciples of Jesus, they abide or they stay connected to him. And those that are abiding need to commune with him. We need to feast on Jesus. Do you feast on Jesus? We of all people in the world are without excuse. We have so many good translations of the Bible, it's ridiculous. Now we have also have a lot of really bad heretical translations, so be really careful. It's true, there's hundreds of them in English, but we have some really good ones as well. We need to feast on Jesus. Number three, we need to not only, not just merely submit to Jesus as the, so the sovereign, we need to commune with Jesus, but number three, worship should come out of us. Notice what happens after they take, when Jesus institutes this communion. In verse 30, it says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When we are communing with Jesus, it will cause worship. You know what, you're, you're going to like, you're, you're going to be driving down the road, listening to some, I don't know, podcast, whatever, like some, some praise song, maybe just start crying. Some of you are laughing, or some of you are, will admit to us later that, man, I've been like singing some song in my car, and I'm like, you just had this moment of worship, and start crying. People driving by you thinking, gosh, what's wrong with that person? What happened? What hurt their feelings while they're driving down the road? Someone said something too mean. What, 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 what happened? They're like, you know, you were just worshiping Jesus. The response of being connected and submitting to Jesus as Lord would be is that we worship him. Number four, we need to be patient with his, for his return. Jesus tells us that he will raise from the grave. And he tells the disciples that he was going to meet them. Listen to what he says. Then in verse 31, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the, she and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go after you to Galilee. Now look, when we skip over to the next chapters of the book, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven and he's going to put his disciples on mission. We know from the rest of the story that Jesus will return. They need to be patient at this point that he is going to meet them. He's going to raise from the grave. We need to be patient that the one who fulfilled those words is going to fulfill his word when he, and come back and return for his people. It could be after our lifetime. 
And yet, we still need to be patient that he will return, and we need to be prepared accordingly. And number five, and lastly, we need to walk humbly with our Lord as we make him Lord of our lives. Let me tell you why. The disciples are all asking, how can this be? Lord, is it I that will betray you? They're shocked. They're not just shocked, but what word is used? They are sorrowful. Could you imagine the Lord saying to us at a meal, one of you are going to betray me. Like the emotion that would hit your heart, like me? I'm going to betray you? They don't believe it. They don't believe it. In verse 33, what does Peter say? He answered him, though they all fall away. Jesus, just because all of, they fall, all of them fall away, I will not fall away. I will never fall away, Peter says. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Another illustration of God's sovereignty over the entire situation, knowing what will happen and when it will happen. But Peter, in his lack of humility, says he will never fall away. And Jesus tells him that he will. Peter said, goes on to speak more in verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, is what Peter says. Now we know that they fall away, but that they, we also know the, full, the rest of the story is that they return, except for the one. And so what I would say is that we need to walk humbly with our God and not with arrogance. Be cautious and careful of every little morsel of pride and arrogance that can enter your hearts, brothers and sisters. It shows up in the strangest and weirdest ways. We need to know God as we ought to know him rightly. We need to know him rightly. But I would say know him without becoming pompous and arrogant. It should promote humility and not pride. I would say, well, it's one of the biggest dangers for us. And that's why people always talk about being cage stage, right? We know something about God, and then we become like the evangelists of that. Like for me, like I know something about coffee now, so I'm like the coffee evangelist for everyone around me. Yeah, did you know you could do pour over? You know, your beans suck. You're probably not even saved, right? Like, like we, but we do that with like our theology though, right? We do that with what we know about God. You know, we start, we learn something about God and about what it means to submit to him. We learn something about his holiness or his justice, or we, or we learn a lot of words that we should know in theology, like justification, dispensationalism, covenant theology, on and on and on and on and then we talk to others and when they don't understand we're like man man maybe you're not saved or like we don't say it but like we, we think it like hey, you'll come along you're just not ready they might be more holier than you I mean like in their walk with God they might be humbler more humble they like 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 but that's what we do right so my, my warning for us brothers and sisters is to be cautious and be careful and to walk humbly with our Lord as we we seek to submit to him as Lord and Savior so obey him Come to know him as we ought to know him. Read, dive deeply into the scriptures and know what he says and know what he means, but it should promote humility and not pride. The Pharisees knew a lot about God, and yet they didn't. So with that, let us remember that we need to make Jesus Lord of every aspect of our lives, submitting to him as the sovereign, communing with him regularly, in worship, patient for his return, and walking humbly with him. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to lead us in a time of communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies on us. Lord, be with us. May your word penetrate our hearts. 
May we be more humble. May we be the kind of people that would, would seek after your will and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.